How you doing, guys? Some people are even smiling. Well, shall we turn in our Bibles? Let's continue our worship this evening in the book of Haggai. That good old popular favourite. Book of Haggai, chapter 1. And as you're turning, you've got a pew Bible, I'm supposed to do this. It's um, page 948, I understand. Yes, 948, Haggai, chapter 1. And just as you're turning, I just wanted to share uh, a few thoughts with you. I've been reading the newspapers this week. And uh, just to try and get a broad idea of what's going on in this country of ours. That we live, uh, that we live in. And uh, we live, don't we, in a, in a, I remember the millennium seven years ago, the New Start Millennium it was called. I thought I'll, I'll, I'll get a couple of papers this week, I'll look on the internet and I'll find out, just to get a broad range of a, a sort of sweep of what's happening, just to see what sort of headlines grab me. And there's a few that grab me. Apparently, um, I was reading this week, the bird flu epidemic is resurfacing and apparently they're going to destroy five million poultry over the next coming weeks. And another 25 million are deemed at risk, which means a, a terrible Christmas for the farming community. Also, carjacking, in case you're wondering, is now the fastest rising crime in our country. And um, street robbery is one of the fastest increasing crimes as well. The police, in a report this week, have been concerned, apparently for some time, about a new weapon use, being used against them by criminals. It's a stun gun, which gives off up to 300,000 volts. Quite a popular choice, apparently. We've got still in, in, in the background almost every day, so, so much so we don't notice it anymore. We've got the war in Iraq. We've got problems in Afghanistan. We've got Iran now moving in to become a potential target. We've got Russia retreating almost daily into itself. Sort of new Cold War is on the horizon. Government figures released this week show that cases of abortion are rising highest in girls, amongst girls in the under 14 age brackets. That's five days headlines, that's five, just a basic skim every day to try and get a grasp of what's going on around us. And we live in a sceptical world, don't we? I work in Nidri, which is a highly sceptical place to work. And it's no doubt, it's a, there's no doubt that um, we live in a world full of problems. But also, for me, it's, it, I'm almost sympathetic to people who doubt the existence of God. Many who I come across every single day in Nidri. How can, how can we believe in God or even in the concept of a loving Heavenly Father in the face of all of this stuff going on around us? How am I meant to convince people? How are we meant to share the good news about Jesus Christ into this context? And as Christians, I think we can sometimes be forgiven for thinking, oh, what's going on? What has happened? to God's rule. We've been, you know, cracking out a few tunes tonight, getting a bit bouncy, haven't we? But outside the doors, what's going on? Where is God? 
outside these hallowed halls. Where is he? I'm hoping we can get a few answers tonight as we read um, and look and study from the book of Haggai. I'm going to do something very Brazilian tonight. I'm not going to hug or kiss you all. This is any offers. In Brazil, a beautiful thing about Brazilian culture, when the Bible's being read, the whole congregation stands. And not just not to worship the Bible, but to honour the God who gave us a perfect, inerrant, all-sufficient word. So let's just stand together as one, as we read God's holy, inspired word. Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build a house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I call for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle, and on the labour of your hands. Amen. You can sit down. So what's going on as we sort of look and read this obscure little book tucked away in the Old Testament? Well, the year is about 520 BC. And it's a time of grape and fig harvest. It's been 66 years since the temple was destroyed. It's been 85 years since the people have been taken into exile by the Babylonians. And 18 years prior to Haggai chapter 1, King Cyrus of Persia had agreed that the people of Israel should be allowed to return to their homeland and rebuild a temple to their gods. You can read about this stuff in the book of Ezra, which gives you good background into this book. And when the people got back to Jerusalem, they were all set for rebuilding God's temple. And they even got as far as, we, as building a foundation. Ezra teaches us. But their excitement and the sort of will to get the job done sort of waned along the way somewhere. And now, as Haggai prophesies here, he's he's talking to around the 50,000, 55,000 plus people who'd returned from the exile. And he's talking to a group of people who'd returned and left the the building of the, uh, the, uh, excuse me, the temple as he talks, has been in a state of ruin for 16 years. And Jerusalem, 
at this time in history, is in the midst of a massive economic and social crisis. Times are hard, harvests are poor, and people are wondering, where is God in all of this? What's going on? What's happening to us? What has happened to God's rule? And as Haggai surveys the, the, the social, political and moral landscape, he, sort of, he sets aside the question of God, where is he, momentarily, and instead he asks them a simple question of his own. And then he suggests to them a solution, a godly solution to their problem. Firstly, he asks the people, what is really wrong with our society? And in verses 2 to 6, he pinpoints the problems. Look at verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. The time has not yet come, the people are saying, to rebuild God's house. God had brought his people out of captivity specifically to rebuild his holy temple. Yet they were procrastinating, we discover. The time's not yet, they said. Not ready, along with countless other excuses. We know from Ezra, chapter 4, verses 6 to 24, that God's people faced massive opposition when they came back into the land to rebuild the temple. The non-Jews in the land at that time, they, they wanted to keep their own religions. They didn't want the, the God of the Jews thrust down their throats. Indeed, commentators have listed many reasons why the work had stopped. They ranged from, well, the people were too poor, they couldn't afford the material to rebuild. The cost was just astronomical. There was great weariness, there was great discouragement. They were too busy. And whilst these reasons may have been true, verse 4 of Haggai chapter 1 is the great giveaway. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? He says, this is where the people had really channeled their interests and their efforts. This is where their energies were truly focused on themselves, on their own needs, first and foremost. The reality was they had no real pressing concern for the glory of God. And despite their excuses, and there were many, the Lord found them out. Because you know what? God has a nasty habit of doing that to us. He cuts to the quick. The bottom line was this. I'm sure they were tired. I'm sure they were under strain. I'm sure they faced much opposition. But the bottom line was that the glory of God was not their number one priority. God had found them out. There is no hiding from the Lord. None whatsoever. A lesson for them. And a lesson... For us. And every single individual in this place needs to ask themselves this evening, what is the most important thing in my life? What's the first thing that's just popped into your mind? What's the most important thing 
in my life? Am I really living to serve the Lord as a believer or am I just pleasing myself? Am I looking after myself and my own house and my own backyards and my own life and my own needs, my own wants, my own desires and my own ambitions and God sort of in there somewhere will dust him off on a Sunday, you know, and we'll hide it behind some funky music. Do I look after number one above all others? Is that where I'm at? Listen, if proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ is the New Testament equivalent of rebuilding the temple of God, then the question is, how are we doing? If you were to do a mental checklist of the most pressing priorities in your life right now, where would ensuring God's honour and glory sit? When is the last time you participated in the kingdom of God by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with somebody. I don't mean inviting them to church. I mean really sitting down with an individual and explaining to them who Jesus Christ is, what he's done for you in your life, and what a difference he can make in theirs, and what they need to do to receive eternal life. When was the last time that happened? More importantly, is anybody here, this is the big question, is anybody here saying not yet to God? Because I think this is what the issue is. I think in mission, this is the crux. People told me when I went to Nidri, desert, dead, expect nothing, you'll get nothing. Just a lie. There's a harvest field out there, ready to be reaped. That's what my Bible says. I don't know what Bible version other people have got. But mine's pretty clear. There's a harvest. There's a harvest to be reaped today. And I think the Lord is calling people. And they're not listening to him. Or they're suffering from what I call, not yet Lord, syndrome. Because the issue isn't the gospel The issue isn't anything. The gospel has never changed. The gospel isn't the problem today. The message isn't the problem. So we have to look to the messengers. Because there's a blockage somewhere down the line. Unless this is the day of small things. I don't believe it is. Which is the general other cop-out. Is anybody here saying not yet to God's? Maybe God is saying, put your trust in Jesus. Maybe you've been coming along to church for a while, for a few weeks, you've been coming along to Christian Explored or whatever other, other churches are represented here. You've been talking to Christians about it, you've heard the good news, you've, you, 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 you've understood what's going on, but not yet. Just, whoa, back off. Not yet, mate. Maybe I need to get, you think, well, I need to get myself sorted out. I need to, I need to make some changes in my life before, like, get into all that Christianity lark. That's a conversation I had with someone the other week. 
putting it off. Putting it off. Not yet, Lord. Maybe the Lord wants you on the mission field. Cross-cultural mission. Maybe God wants someone here tonight in, in Ecuador. Why is that outrageous? Not yet, Lord. I'm not ready. Well, I need to go to uni first. Get a few qualifications under the belt. I need to be a bit more settled. Business is going well. A few more years of financial stability, I'll consider it. I'll think about it. It's definitely an option. I'll just, you know, keep the options open. Maybe serving the Lord is a second-class job to some people. I remember my first ministry in um, somewhere. I won't embarrass them. Probably embarrassed by me. And a group of kids, we took them to Africa, ten of them there was. And uh, they were fired. Those, those kids were fired up for the Lord. You know, and I stoked the fire. I'm quite good at that. And um, they came back and I remember one kid, one kid was, he was captain, you know, design, he was super cool kid. I mean, his sunglasses cost more than my first car. He was that sort of kid. <laughs> you know. And he had all the sort of hair in all the right places. And, uh, you know, all the designer gig going on. And, um, and it, was, it was all about the money. It was all about, you know, the right gear. The Lord changed that kid in a month. He turned his whole life around. He came back on, on fire for G. He wanted to go to university. He said, no, I'm, I want to I go. I want to serve the Lord. And he, he particularly wanted to go to Thailand for some reason. And I remember it very clearly. His mother came up to me in church about two weeks later and absolutely decimated me for brainwashing her child. She said, what are you doing? She's a Christian, member in the church, 20 odd years. What are you doing? My son, what have you done to him? What do you mean? The Lord's exciting, isn't it? The Lord's no. He's going to university. Me and his dad, we've talked about. It. We've got his future mapped out. Listen, if that didn't work out, if it didn't, work, then we can, you know, maybe he can consider becoming a missionary. I won't tell you what my reply was. <laughs> Not yet, Lord. I've got an action plan for my life. I want you to play a more active role in church. Not yet. Not yet. Now the chapel, a place like the chapel is a good place to hide, isn't it? It's a good place to sort of sneak in the corner where no one's not, you know, when nobody's looking. I was sort of reading through the spiel here on the chapel. I'm going to be nice to the chapel. Peter's panicking, but he's not. You sort of get this sort of, it's a smorgasbord, isn't it, of stuff to do. Even I'm like, whoa. You know, shall I do that? Ooh, shall I go to that thing? Lots of things to keep us busy and occupied. To amuse us, almost. Let me see which group tickles, tickles my fancy, you know, which... 
how much of our attendance, whether at the chapel, I don't know, again, wherever you go, how much of our attendance at, at, at these gatherings, how much of our attendance at a local church is about participation? You just come here and just, just get, get, take, 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 take. I'm off out the door and get on with my life. What if God is saying to you, I want every single part of your life? What are you saying to him? Not yet. Not yet, Lord. Some of it, actually, I'm quite enjoying and I'm not ready to hand it over just yet. We've seen some presentations tonight, haven't we, about, about mission in a, in, a, in a foreign context. But, you know, one of the reasons we came back to, from Brazil, one of the reasons our, our, our whole thought process to coming to Nidri is that today mission is, a, is about much more than that, isn't it? Mission isn't just bongo, bongo land anymore. We're all called to be missionaries now. All of us, wherever we are, whatever our context today, that much is apparent. apparent. How missional are we in our relations, relationships with people? We've got this idea that mission evangelism, it's an event we bring our mates along to in the church. And it's up to Peter or Rodney or somebody else, Colin or someone, to, to evangelise our mates and convert them for us. That's not mission, is it? That's not missional. That's the lifestyle the Lord is calling to us. And maybe you're saying, not, you know, not yet, Lord. Well, how are you going to win your friends for Jesus Christ? What's your strategy? What is your strategy as a believer? What's your action plan? I've got a, I've got a challenge for everybody in here, in this building this evening, uh, who's a believer. One person in your mind right now who's not, who's not a believer, you, you, you're desperate to see them safe. You're desperate. At work, at uni, in your halls, wherever it may be, the guys who work in the office as well, one person this week, and your aim is this. Make them the number one priority this week in prayer and make your prayer specific for an opportunity to sit down with that particular individual and talk to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Do it. Live on the edge for Jesus. Do it. And then talk to each other about it and be encouraged. Do it. Verse 5 says this. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. We do, don't we? We do need to give careful thought to our ways. Are we setting them? Are we so set in our ways and our routines that we never really budge from them? We need to move forwards. Again, verse 7, he reiterates the need to give careful thought to our ways. He's telling these people, look, you've got to think. But what are God's people supposed to think about? Well, verse 6 is clear. You planted much, you've harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but you uh, never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Much sowing, poor harvests. Not enough uh, food on the table, not enough money in the old pocket. 
People suffering hardship. Why? All these things aiming for and getting nowhere, the Lord says. People just completely afraid to sit down and bite the bullet and go, you know what, things aren't well here. We need to reevaluate this. Something's wrong. How bad are we at that? And the problem is this. There are problems, not because God is disinterested with them, but because people have pushed him out of their lives. And that's the issue. And he moves forward. He says in verse 8, he offers them a solution to their problem. He offers them the only workable solution. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build a house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. This is what God wants from us. This is what the Lord Almighty wants from us. Notice the amount of times he uses the Lord Almighty in Haggai chapter 1. It's not an accident. He wants the temple built so he can be glorified. Isn't that the chief aim of humankind? To worship God and to glorify him forever. Do this, he says. I'll be glorified. I'll be honoured. And he drops the bombshell to them then in verse 9. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. There's an interesting bit of theology. God blew it away. All God's doing. Because they were zealous in regard to their own life, their own agenda, their own pursuits, their own personal happiness, their own personal goals. God brought the whole thing crumbling down. As an alarm call, a wake-up call to his people. They put their own interests first. That is what 10 and 11 is all about. And they hadn't made the connection here between their disobedience and the difficult circumstances that they were in. They hadn't made the equation and neither have people around us. Neither have many Christians. Some quarters of the Christian church think we're experiencing a revival today, which I think is laughable. Unless it's going on when I'm not looking or out shopping or something. We've got 12-year-olds giving birth to babies. We've got violent crime increase. We've got rape, mugging, murder. We've got 10 and 11-year-olds killing people. We've got drug abuse rampant. Your children can buy drugs in this city as easy as walking into a shop and buying a newspaper. It's a fact. Drugs are in every single playground, in every single school in this country. That's a fact. Nearly every... No, I would say 19... 9% of every young person who comes into contact with me on a Friday night in Nidri takes drugs as a matter of course. They don't even blink. As easy as you and I breathe, they do the gear on a weekend. The country's a moral graveyard, isn't it? People today, they worship money, they worship sex, they worship Mother Earth, they worship commercialism, they worship themselves, they worship anything but God. And the results are for us all to see. Failing systems. Failures at every corner. 
And the government think, well, we'll just invent another law. We'll just throw another law at it. People honestly think that Nidri is going to change because he put up some Balamori-looking type houses. <laughs> is that just me? Or do I think I'm in some sort of weird Balamori type, you know, dream? It's not me, thank you. All around us, problems, problems, problems. And nobody is taking the time to sit, well they are, to sit down and ask why, but they're not asking the right questions. They're not looking for the right solution. The people in Haggai, they suffered because God was not a priority. And that's why we're in such a mess. See, we, I can stand up here, yakon, blah, 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 in it terrible. We can all wring our hands and go, they're all terrible, those pagans. But where's the church? What are we doing? We've got the good, have we got the good news? Or am I mistaken? Because I think we've got the good stuff. So why are we hiding it? God wants us to honour him rather than going around pleasing ourselves. That's the message from Haggai. He wants to be the main priority in our life. Listen, it's no good bouncing about and singing about it. You're not going to do anything about it. He wants obedience, primarily. And that is the only remedy. There is no other. I don't have a magic happy pill to make it all go away. People who come into me in Nidri with all sorts of issues and problems and, and, and the, only, the issue is this, simply, will you bow the knee or will you go on your way? Because it all comes down to obedience. It's the only remedy for the problems we're facing. Nothing is going to change if we don't take any notice of what God is saying to us here. There is no revival. There'll be no revival in this country until we put God back into the centre of our lives. Because only when people become obedient to God do things change. Look at verse 12 onwards. Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai. Because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. They recognised that what he was saying was from God. And this is no small thing. Shouldn't you sit there and go, yeah, nice one, Haggai, I appreciate that. Shouldn't who does this guy think he is? But God was working in them. Remember Jeremiah, Isaiah, when they tried to bring correction to the people, jeered, mocked, persecuted, ignored, killed God's prophets. But these people feared the Lord. A real deep fear. Because they knew that they couldn't be indifferent anymore. The Lord had spoken. They had no way out. They had a good kick at the backside. And they knew they needed to change. And the people realised their sin. They responded to God. And then in verse 13, this is how the Lord responds to them. I am with you. He says, 
He'd renew his covenant promise as his people's priorities, as his priorities, sorry, became their priorities. And listen, a quick, you know, theological nugget for all you gold diggers out there. There's something significant here about the order of restoration. Firstly, their sin was made known to them. Secondly, they were disciplined by the word of God. Thirdly, the people turned and repented. Fourthly, God was gracious to forgive and accept them. Fifthly, they moved on to receive the divine blessing. That is a clear picture of God's eternal order of salvation. It hasn't changed in Jesus Christ. Amen. Sin, discipline, repentance, grace, blessing. It's all there. It's all there for us. Same order in the New Testament. We have sinners under the wrath of God. He requires repentance. In other words, he requires that we turn from our old ways and make him the priority in our lives. He pours out his grace on us as we respond to him in faith and we receive the eternal blessings of a child of God. I love this stuff. I do. I mean, how good is this? If you don't remember anything tonight, remember this. We've got the good stuff. This is what's happening here. Through the word of God, people were stirred and prompted by the Holy Spirit. They responded to him in obedience. And then we read, within 23 days, they'd begun work on the temple of the living God. Now, that's revival. That's what I'm talking about. I'm all over the place with time here. You're going to have to pull me off in a minute. Come and have a go. Um, Maybe my last chance, so I'm going to milk it for all it's worth. <laughs> so what does this mean for us? Well, above all things, ultimately, God's glory, shouldn't it? Be our ultimate priority. Jesus Christ should be the centre of our lives. God lives in us by his spirit, those of us who are Christians. Just as he dwelt in the temple in Haggai's day. And each of us has a responsibility for our temple. For the upkeep of our temple. And are we fulfilling that responsibility? Are you fulfilling your responsibility? Rethink your priorities in life. Because God is speaking to us this evening and he's telling us to give careful thought to our ways. Are you doing everything that God is asking of you? Don't shoot out the door tonight for your, you know, your cup of tea and your chalky bicky. Sit and just ask the Lord. Show me, Lord. Am I? Have a blocked chat with all the noise of my life going on around me, buzzing in my head. Ask him. You want to serve the Lord? We were singing some beepy song about winning the Lord for this generation. Is that just a little number we bop our heads to? Or do you mean it? Is there something you need to repent of that is hindering your spiritual growth? Do it, because God is quick to forgive us. He wants to see us move on and grow and develop. He wants to see Christ glorified on these streets, doesn't he? At uni, in the workplace, wherever it is. 
You know, I think I wrote a sentence down here. I want to read it out. I thought that sort of suddenly came to me as I was preparing for this evening. And it says this, we're calling... Okay, this is a quote from me, which is a weird thing to do. But, um, we're calling people to repent and turn to a God that many of us are not prepared to serve fully. And that's why I think evangelism is so difficult today. Because that's what I think the bottom line is. Remember I asked a question at the beginning of this message, what's happened to God's rule, where is he? What's going on? Well that's the wrong question. Let me give you the right question. Because the right question is the biblical question found in Genesis chapter 3 verse 9. And the question is, where are you, oh man? Not where, where are you? That's the question. God is ruling. God is speaking today. Are we listening? Are we listening? The, the world around us isn't, and they're reaping the rewards of that. They're reaping the fruits of their disobedience. We, on the other hand, need to give careful thought to our ways and press on in God's kingdom. We're going to stand, we're going to sing a song called um, Here 